0: This is MJ. I'm an author, I'm an artist, I'm an analyzer. You can find all my work at MJMunoz.com. Welcome to my fully operational Star Wars analysis. This time out, I'm talking about Ahsoka, episode 6. I am, once again, listening to the credits as the uh, episode has just ended uh, less than a minute ago. Maybe 90 seconds ago now. And uh, i got to say, it's weird. We've got this cool score that we don't hear at the beginning of the episode. And I don't think we ever hear it like throughout the episode. So, while it's a cool score, and I appreciate the choice to just drop us right into the action, it is really weird that we're not getting this score in the episode, or at least nowhere I can discern it. And, uh, yeah. That's kind of strange. Anyway, so, <coughs> this was so good episode 7. Like I said, it was called Dreams and Madness. And I do not know why it was called Dreams and Madness. Uh, by the end of it, Thrawn has told uh, the fake... <laughs> the fake uh, Night sister lady that she or that he has won because he made Ahsoka lose time and that's the one thing she can't afford to lose and uh, he intends to keep it that way. And I don't know how I feel about that because I uh, I don't really find that argument compelling. I also didn't find it compelling like the problem with <laughs> the problem with Grand Admiral Thrawn and I don't know how Zahn made this work out, and I did talk about him previously about how one of the things that happened in, uh, I don't know, dark, whatever. the second, I think it was the second Thrawn book was, like, he guessed this crazy thing that was going on with uh, people shuffling ships between the Falcon, the Lady Luck, and Luke's X-Wing, maybe? And, like, the three of them rendezvoused, and he figured out this thing, and it's like, how did you guess that dude? And I don't know if there is actually some strong logical Like, you know, because there's the field of logic. I don't know if there's some strong logical argument or way or methodology that could be used to really divine that stuff properly or not. But, like, Thrawn guessed, you know, because Zahn needed him to exactly what it was. And the problem with writing a genius is that you have to be a genius. And I don't know if Timothy Zahn is a genius or not. He certainly captivated people with his character of Grand Admiral Thrawn and the Chiss Ascendancy and all that stuff. Um, so you know kudos to him and obviously that's a a great feat and some people call the <coughs> Thrawn books the best books or their favorite books of the Star Wars extended universe and you know that's fine or expanded universe sorry um which is fine and I have nothing against that and I have nothing against Zahn except for the chocolate milk thing which I think I talked about previously too and I will not belabor now <laughs> they call it hot cocoa Luke anyway <laughs> So, it works every time. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, so... Yeah, that's that's weird to me. And I think Filoni tried to give Thrawn a genius line, which was regarding to... Ahsoka, Ahsoka was in this debris field, they call it. Or, well, she calls it a debris field, and uh, he in the... He calls it a, a graveyard, I believe, to the uh, the night sisters, the Great Mothers. And he says to uh, what's her face um, the magistrate um, I'm using that old name for her because I can't remember Morgan Elsbeth there we go uh, he says to Morgan Elsbeth something along the lines of we like he knows that uh, this is confusing in the books it is revealed that Throng figured out that Anakin Skywalker became Darth Vader because it's not common knowledge at the time uh, becomes common well it becomes a known fact later I don't know when it becomes common knowledge if ever in the galaxy but Thrawn is one of the few people who knows it. I think it's Thrawn Tarkinsidious and uh, I don't know a handful of other people so uh, Ahsoka maybe Rex I don't know who else anyway um, you know, Obi-Wan, Yoda Yeah, there's a handful of people um, so anyway the uh, the genius line that Thrawn that <laughs> Filoni gave to Thrawn which confused me was something along the lines of Uh, it's twofold. So, it starts with, I think, him knowing that Ahsoka is Anakin Skywalker's, uh, apprentice. And the, yeah, there's a, I'm pretty sure there's a Thrawn book that's split timeline between, which I don't know why you would do that, between the Clone Wars and Imperial times. And it's like a cat and mouse game of Thrawn working with Anakin Skywalker for something, uh, maybe in the Outer Rim, I don't know for sure, and then him working with Vader, and then him, by the end of it, he, like, put pieces together that, that that it's the same guy, and other than Thrawn understanding how Vader works, I don't know, like, how that's beneficial or why that's actually cool, unless he was planning on, like, um, working against the Empire for some greater purpose, some grand design, uh, some greater good that he had in mind, or something like that, and I totally rhymed, that was weird. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so, but that's all to get to the point where I'm telling you what the line from Thrawn was, which was something like, um, she will come to you, and then you will bring her to me. No, it was, uh, we will let her go on her own path so that we will always stay one step ahead of her. And he said it with such confidence and Smoothness, I, was going to say <laughs> I don't know what that means. Uh, he said it with such, I guess, charm, you could say, you could argue, that I wanted to believe it, but as soon as he was done saying it, and Morgan Elizabeth turned to the screen and said, <clears throat> I, too, questioned what exactly he was saying, and I thought, I have an enemy. And, and, and in the context, too, he wanted to pull back the forces, he wanted to pull back the ships from pursuing her. Mm. In you know the limited resources that they have. He wanted to pull back the ships from pursuing her in the debris field because he didn't want to lose any more of them than he had to. <clears throat> and somehow, he knew that pulling back on the ships and stopping them from killing her, if they could, which the odds were low, he would be able to... I'm going to spend the whole episode on this, guys, okay? Just get ready for it. He would be able to let her go... Which would help him stay ahead of her, despite the fact that he doesn't know where she's going, except for the fact that she wants to go to Sabine Wren, or he's assuming she wants to go to Sabine Wren, uh, who has been mercifully sent far away from him and his forces, which he he pointed out, and I, I thought that was I thought that was clever, I really did. Um, yeah, if she's going to go try to rescue her friend Sabine, well, Sabine ain't here. And somehow, these people, these Jedi, always find each other. So, yeah, Ahsoka's going to find Sabine far away from us and, uh, you know, thank the Force, uh, we won't have to worry about her interfering and meddling with us. Whereas if we kept Sabine imprisoned on our ship, she would come right here, she would attack us, we would defend, it would lead to a dangerous outcome. So, like, I don't know, he's definitely clever, and it was definitely, like, a good move. To like put the conflict as far away from you as possible, but it's not like a genius move. And still, that line, uh, that line of, I will let her go there. So that she, <laughs> we have to fight them over there, so we don't have to fight them over here. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm uh, <laughs> wow, I'm too much. Anyway, so yeah. By letting her go on her own course and leaving her alone when we have a small likelihood of killing her, we will stay one step ahead of her. My guy, she's not after you. She's after Sabine. So you potentially wasting resources in an attempt to kill Ahsoka Tano that turns out to be fruitless will decrease your forces. Yes, I agree. You are smart to pull back your forces because of that. I agree. That is clever, good tactics. Uh, Again, I don't know that it's genius level, but it's definitely smart. So, I agree. I I like that. That's a good, smart move by a good, smart bad guy. However, this thinking that he's going to stay a step ahead of her when she's not going after him directly doesn't make sense. That would be like me... So, I'm driving in the car right now. There's a guy driving behind me in some sort of vehicle, but I'm going to say that by letting him go on his own path, I'm going to stay ahead of him and evade capture by him. He's not going after me. That's not his destination. That is not his route to get me. Uh, At least I hope not. What's he doing? But... By me going on my path, going on my merry way, continuing with my plans as usual, and ignoring him, and not interacting with him, like, you know, not slamming my brakes and swerving so that the guy stops, and getting out of the car and yelling at him, chasing him with a baseball bat, like, by not interacting, interfering, intervening with this guy who's just driving behind me somewhere else going on his own mission, uh, I, by refusing to do that interaction, I will ensure that we stay as far, you know, that he doesn't follow me to work right now however I have no reason to think he would have followed me to work had I not interfered with him at all and it's kind of the same logic I think uh I mean it's like a gross analogy but it's kind of the same logic with what Thrawn was saying that Ahsoka's on her own mission if we leave her alone she won't know what we're doing or she'll be you know even less informed about what we're doing and therefore she won't be an aggravating, complicating factor for us. I mean, yeah, obviously, but that's just weird. Uh, anyway, so, uh, sorry for picking on that for so long, but it just seemed weird, and it's like, I don't know, man, When and I, I know I mentioned this before, so i will be super brief, but when they brought Thrawn to Rebels in Season 3 or whatever that was, I thought, do you really want to do this? Do what you're doing? Like, at that point, Filoni was no longer, he was the supervising director of Rebels, and I think he was... Partly in chart. <laughs> Disney said, we can give you this many dollars, or we can give you this many dollars, minus, or less 25%, and these are your art styles that go along with that. Which would you like, Mr. Filoni? Uh, which doesn't make any sense. Well, anyway, I think that's true. I don't know for a fact that it's true that because uh, Rebels was on Disney XD, I think, that it was, uh, like, much lower budget than Clone Wars was, but Lucas was... So I understand that putting his own money, like George Lucas himself, the man, um, who married Melody Roberts, or Roberts Robertson, and had, you know, a kid, you know, r- around the time he sold uh, Star Wars, to, or Lucasfilm to Disney, um, that man right there, father of Katie, and uh, Jet, and other people, uh, like, he, put his own money into Clone Wars, and he was like, yeah, I'm going to spend the money on this, because I want it to look a certain way, and be a certain quality, and I want to keep pushing the envelope with this animation and stuff, and they went from being wooden marionette, like Thunderbirds, to, like, having, you know, flowing hair and robes and cloth textures and all that good stuff and having that amazing Siege of Mandalore battle between Ahsoka and Maul. Ah! Top-tier animation! Some of the best animation in the world ever made, I believe. Anyway, definitely some of the best lightsaber coordination, lightsaber fight coordination we've ever seen. Anyway. Uh, <clears throat> almost as good as Ryan vs. Darkman. And... Then, you know, when we went to Rebels, he had much less money to work with. But anyway, you know, I, you know, Paloney did the best he could, I think, uh, under the new regime. Although it doesn't make sense, but whatever. I'm not going to get into, you know, theory and guessing and uh, pretending like I know what I'm talking about exactly. Um, you know, but he was the supervising director of Rebels. He wasn't directly involved. And I think that was, like, season two. Like, I think, pretty sure. Oh, gosh. Greg Wiseman, right? Greg Wiseman of uh, Gargoyle's fame? And Spectacular Spider-Man 2? Was that him? Anyway, I think it was. So Greg Wiseman uh, had a large part in the Kanan part of the story, I know for sure, and in a lot of the writing of uh, that first uh, season of Rebels. And I think Filoni was very involved, too, if I'm remembering correctly. But then I think he went to a you know executive producer role, which has bigger overarching control over the series, but still, um, like, you're handing off your ideas to other people to actualize, which is fine, but it just, you know, it can kind of change things and and be interesting. (laughs) It can be interesting. It can lead to interesting, and by interesting, I mean not so great results. So anyway, I thought, I can't believe you're inviting Thrawn into this children's show that is, you know, neutered by being on Disney XD, and uh, like, I'm not sure you're going to handle this well. And yeah, I don't know. It was interesting. <laughs> I didn't I didn't think they did an incredible job with Thrawn, but whatever. Um in that show. But it, I mean it was decent overall. Um he felt threatening enough, but just I don't know. Some things were off and some things were weird to me. And I kind of feel the same way. Like I'm not sure you can handle Thrawn 100%. Like I don't know. It's I like Moff Gideon was a really cool villain as far as uh, I'm concerned in the first 2 seasons of uh Mandalorian, and I thought like he was cool. He felt Thrawn ish. He felt like a super smart guy, felt very clever, very tactical, and you know very competent and threatening. And that was super cool. Um, but when you're actually bringing in Thrawn, I don't know. Like there's a shine and there's a like a level of prestige that goes along with Thrawn, and maybe he works better in books, honestly, because of the way you can get into his head and hear his philosophizing and you know bouncing ideas off of Pelion and like he's basically Sherlock Holmes. And Pelion is his, uh, what's his name? Wilson, no, Wilson Winston, what's his name? Watson? Yeah, Watson, there you go. I've never read a Sherlock Holmes book in my life, so I'm just going off of what I know from general pop culture and, like, movie references. I've never even seen those Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes movies, so, you know, forgive my, uh, lack of recall on that. Um, but anyway, my, forgive my untotal recall. But, yeah, so... I, I I don't know man I don't know I don't know what they're doing with the Thrawn I don't know why they're doing with this Thrawn Um And You know I'm Less than thrilled I'm less than thrilled But I'm curious to see how it all shakes out Uh I, I like though That Um Balin Bailed Hey Balin Bailed ha, I see what you did there feloni He's a bailer Cause he's named Balin. Anyway I like that Balin bailed on Thrawn's mission and on, you know, being a a mercenary for him and that he's doing his own thing. Um, I assume that ties into Dreams and Madness, the title of the episode, but I still think that episode is, like, very poorly placed because I'm not sensing any dreams. I'm not sensing any madness either, and that's kind of strange. But, irregardless... uh, That one was for you, Dad. Uh, Irregardless... um, It's, it's weird. It's very weird to me that, uh, Balin is off doing his own thing, and, I mean, it makes it kind of more interesting, more dynamic, and, you know, I wonder exactly what he's up to. I don't know that we'll find out. Uh, I mean, we should find out next episode, but, I don't know. (laughs) Like, I think Thrawn's gonna leave, and, um... Uh, Ahsoka and the gang are going to have to try to leave too. Uh, the Pergola gone, so will they try to hitch a ride on the Eye of Cyrus? Or Eye of Sion? Sorry, Eye of Sion. Um, I kind of feel like, in a crazy way, whatever Balin's after, if there is some secret force thing. Um, because he's leaving, uh, Shin to join the Empire, or the New Empire, first order, whatever, and, like, be a part of that and, uh, you know, find her greatness and find her fortune or whatever there. And he wants to do something bigger. He said he basically wants to end all future wars. Does he want to become a demigod? Is there some sort of uh, crazy, you know, fable, excuse me, fable-bound power there? fable-bound power. That's the title of your next book. The fable-bound power. Anyway, um, he, uh, like, is there something, some great power that he's going to activate that, like, there was that, um, oh, man, what was it called, Malachor? I think they used Malachor in Clone Wars, where Maul was there, and Kanan, and there was the fateful fight, and, uh, Maul and Ezra were teaming up <clears throat> to get to a holocron or something like that, and there was some sort of, like, you know, planet-wide super weapon. um, kind of, yeah, I, I think it was called Malachor, and I wonder if, like, did they just take the idea of the mass shadow generator, or what? Um... But maybe it wasn't Malachor. Maybe it was like how they changed Korriban to Morriban. Maybe it wasn't Malachor. Maybe it was like Malachan or something like that. Anyway, but um, we, Ezra picked up a, a cross guard lightsaber, I think, there, too, that was like a Jedi weapon. Anyway, um, too much Star Wars, guys. Too much Star Wars. Anyway, uh, maybe there's some sort of like, you know, force based super weapon that's like Night Sister magic combined with something else, like Sithy or who knows what. And, like, I I almost think that this Episode eight could wrap up the season, the series, whatever, with somehow Balin activating this thing that goes wild and stops Thrawn from getting back into the galaxy. Unless, of course, they are pushing for Thrawn to win in the end and get back into the normal Star Wars galaxy. And uh, for him and his forces to be the remnants that become the First Order eventually. Like, I can definitely see that happening. Um... But I don't know. It could also not happen. And... I don't know. That could be more interesting. That could be more fun. Maybe. I don't really know. Um, I don't really know. Just find it odd. Overall, I was entertained. I liked seeing Ezra use his, like... uh, You know, offensive force pushing and stuff. And uh, seeing him fight was funny. Uh, Although I am irritated a little bit by the uh, little... um, RV turtle guys that they are peaceful Ezra calls them peaceful Um, that's not true they're harmless there's a difference between being peaceful and harmless and this has been said by a few different people in a few different ways but basically if you're peaceful it's because you have the ability to harm people or be violent and you choose not to because that's how you want to live your life if you're harmless you are incapable of or yeah you're incapable of Uh, by dint of strength or weapons, uh, you're incapable of causing harm to somebody else. So, you're not peaceful. You're not safe. You're just incapable. You're inept. You're harmless. That's totally different. And uh, you shouldn't want to be harmless. You should want to be peaceful. There's like a a marked difference. And I don't know. That's interesting. I even think there was a little bit of like a, not pacifistic, but like a more Jedi-like thing going on with Ahsoka. After Shin was defeated, she wanted to help her and she wanted to, like, you know, do something with her. And I thought that was really cool, because you don't always have to kill the bad guys. Not that I want them to keep redeeming bad guys or anything like that, necessarily, but, you know, Star Wars is about redemption, and we could see, you know, Shin potentially saved from her evil ways and go off to become one of uh, Luke's students. Like, that's happened before in Star Wars, in the original canon. Um, That happened uh, to a guy from not Splinter of the Mind's Eye, that's way too far back, from uh, Dark Empire, or Dark Empire 2, rather. there's was a guy who was like a, you know, Sith follower, Dark Jedi type of guy, and Luke ended up turning him, and then he ended up being an ally uh, in, like, the Jedi Academy Chronicles, or uh, Jedi Academy books and stuff, which is super cool. But anyway, so, like, I don't know, I like that, that softer approach being taken, but I want my characters to be dangerous, my heroes to be dangerous and threatening, and capable of, ...of, you know, great destruction... ...but then, like, hold back and choose to go the other way... ...as opposed to my villains... ...who are also competent and deadly and capable... ...but who, you know, choose not to do that... ...because they're evil... ...and that's, like, what sets them apart, right? It's like the whole sheepdog and wolf thing... ...like, to the sheep... ...a sheepdog looks like a wolf... ...and they're just as dangerous and scary... ...but literally, what sets apart... ...the sheepdog from the sheep... ...is that he has the capacity for violence and yet he chooses to, you know, broadly speaking, as an illustration, he chooses to use that to defend the sheep against the wolves. Uh, But, you know, to the sheep, they all have, uh, they they see them as the same way. Anyway, there's something in my head rattling around about a sheep uh, suggesting that everybody have their fangs removed, and then, you know, the wolves aren't going to comply with that. So then when the sheepdog have no fangs to use against the wolves, then the whole flock gets massacred. Uh, again, because they have been rendered harmless, as opposed to being, you know, peaceful. Um, so interesting stuff to talk about. But yeah, I um, uh, I don't know. I mean, I overall enjoyed it. I overall liked it. Um, it was cool seeing Sabine and Ezra talking again. And uh, I mean, I honestly enjoyed more of the Ahsoka stuff. I enjoyed that uh, Anakin flashback. And to think that there's 20 of those hollow vids that he made for Ahsoka. Uh, you know, shortly before they parted ways, is incredible and touching. And uh. Really cool. There is a little bit of a continuity issue, though, if you take things literally. The Clone Wars was three years long. The outfit that he's wearing in the training video, which is the last one he made for her, um, well, I guess he could have made it before the season three year... I think middle of season three, they do a time jump. Like, everybody gets new character models. Ahsoka gets her more grown-up look. Um, Anakin gets his, like, Revenge of the Sith look as well as Obi-Wan. They go from having the armor uh, being, like, the animated Clone Wars, like, the micro-series Clone Wars style, basically, um, which is the early Clone Wars uh, style of armor with the Von Braces and... Von... What is it? Von Braces and Paltrow? Is that what it is? Yeah, there's, like, arm armor that they have, basically... And that's Anakin's early you know, Clone Wars look. And then he gets his his late Clone Wars look is the same as the Revenge of the Sith look. And if I'm remembering correctly, Season 3 featured um, the planet of the father, the son, and the daughter. Um, and I believe that was Season 3, but it wasn't until the middle of Season 3 that there was a time jump. Because uh, Anakin is in his Revenge of the Sith look in that one. And so is Obi-Wan. Doesn't Ahsoka still look young, though? Wait a minute. Maybe I'm misremembering that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I've gone on too long. I need to let you go. I'm almost going as long as the uh, the episode itself was. That's not good. So, anyway, excuse me. Can you quiet down your card? Come on. Show some respect recording a Star Wars podcast, man. Anyway, until next time, folks, take care. This is MJ signing out. I hope you enjoyed that. Go to MJMunoz.com to leave any questions, comments, or other feedback you might have. There you can find all of my analysis, art, and fiction. I cover books, tokusatsu, comic books, anime, and more. Look around, you're sure to find something else that you'll enjoy as well. This has been a Story Over Everything production.